Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com/network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Well, hey, welcome back. It's Friday. I sounded really like exasperated there. You did. You had an like, exasperating <laughs> week. Was it an exasperating week? <laughs> it felt. It feels like it. Uh, but we made it. We're here. It's Friday. Good game. Nice try. Back again. Back at it. Full energy. You look disappointed. What's up? I'm not disappointed at all. I was just <laughs> trying to work in the joke, putting the ass and exasperated, but I couldn't really get it in there. So I just said I it saw like the gears w. turning. Yeah, uh, it was great. But uh, what's what's up with you? What's going well, on? I got something to say. Um, I heard a little birdie told me. Oh, Jen Samples, our producer, has a new game recommendation. <gasps> I do. What's Ooh. up? What do we got, Jen? What's happening? OK, it's a game I discovered with some friends this past weekend, and it's in the Oculus. Perfect. And it's different because my one qualm with the Oculus is if you're in a group of people together in person and one person's playing it, it's kind of isolating. Yeah, you're right. It is weird. You know, so you can't really, I don't know, all play together. Yeah. But there's a new game. I don't know if it's new, but there's a game I just discovered called Acorn. Have you guys played this? Oh. I haven't even heard of it. It's comical because it's... Acorn Attack of the Squirrels. However, I think Acorn was already taken. So when you search it on your iPhone to get the app, it's spelled Akron. So just to preference that. But it's a squirrel theme. This is a good start. I'm very... (laughs) You're going to love it. Um, So one person wears that VR headset and the other people download the app on their phone. (gasps) And the person in the VR headset is a tree with hands and everything. And there's different worlds. And the people on the phone are the squirrels. <gasps> and the whole thing is you use your phone to guide your squirrel to try to steal the nuts from the tree while the person in the VR headset is picking you up and throwing you. And oh, it's like a team game. My God. It's like the tree versus the squirrels. <laughs> and my friends and I had a blast. And it was the first VR game that I found that everyone can play. Yeah, because wow. you're right. It is so isolating just watching somebody kind of in their own world. Did you play both? Did you play both the tree and the squirrels? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we would all like take turns switching between the tree and the squirrels. It's so much fun. You guys need to What play are you it. better? Are you better at being a squirrel or better at being a tree? And also, what's your strategy as the tree? Okay. I loved being the tree. <laughs> um, you, I love it's, this. You have like... There's certain weapons that you can have, like you could weapons? throw you could throw sludge at the squirrels to knock them out. Oh my god! And then on the flip side, the squirrels. There's like four different characters you can play, and each has their own power. Like mm-hmm. one of the squirrels has a shield. One of them can dig holes. One of them can build bridges to ambush you from above to oh get god. the acorns. <laughs> you guys, I'm telling you, you gotta <laughs> wow. play it. Wow, this sounds I'm awesome! So excited because the only. I was trying to think of other VR games that are good for like social play, like being able to play with other people. And the only other thing that kind of comes to mind is keep talking and nobody explodes. What's that? Because you have somebody who's in, uh, and you can play it, I think just on PC too, but they have it on, on VR where you, if you're in the VR headset, you're looking at a bomb and you can mm-hmm. rotate it, and it has, like, different modules and different wires and, like, codes and stuff you have to put in. But then the person who's outside of the VR, they have the manual. And they oh. have to try to explain it to you and say, oh, if you have 
three red wires, then you have no black wires, then you have to cut the fourth wire or something. But if you have two batteries on it, then you have to do something specific. It gets so complicated and you're under pressure. Um, And it, I mean, it lives up to the name. If you just keep talking and fuck it, try to figure figure it out, nobody will explode. But uh, that's the only other one that I can think of that's kind of able to play um, with multiple people. Yeah, that's re- what a smart device for the Acorn game. Like, what a. What I'm a like brilliant- shocked it hasn't been a thing sooner because I feel like there's so many. It's kind of like the Jackbox games that you can play on your mm-hmm. phone, you know, where you play Quiplash and stuff. It had that vibe. And I feel like the possibilities are endless if you, you can sort of connect the two, the phone and the VR. Yeah. No, it does feel like that's such a lacking area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like VR, basically what we're all saying is VR doesn't really have couch co-op. Yeah. yeah, yeah, unless you all have VR or something. But even then, it's kind of like you have to be like apart from each other, mm-hmm. you know, like True. even that, like, because we would each need to be in our own separate little areas. Um, yeah, wow. Well, I'm definitely, huh. we got to check that game out, man. That sounds awesome. Absolutely. I love that. Good Lord. Um, let's talk about. Game. So let's talk about one of my favorite games of all time, which is The Witness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was, since we started this podcast, I have wanted to try to get this person on to talk to them. Uh, they're one of my favorite game devs, one of my favorite like creators of any art form. Uh, th- this person uh, has done Braid and The Witness, which again, I think made me see the world in a different way. I would also love to be able to have a count of how many times you have said Braid and The Witness across all of the podcast episodes that we've done. It's a lot. <laughs> I, I put those games, two games in very high esteem. Uh, and so if you haven't played them, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> play them. If you haven't played them, it's time. Play them. It's time to play them. It's time to play them. Um, and so, yeah, this was a, a real treat uh, for for us to, to welcome uh, our guest today, Jonathan Blow. Mr. Blow, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you know, Braid and The Witness are obviously two things that I, they're not even games. They've changed how I look at the world, which is I, mind blowing to think about. And and for you, you know, what is it? What do you like? What changes your life and your worldview? Uh, games or not? Wow, that's yeah. A- let's, we start deep. We start deep, and then we end with your favorite color. We end, okay. We, we start red. And we go shallow. Yeah. Red. Um. Well, man. So I'll just say, from a very young age, I had this deep desire to understand the universe in a in a deep way, in a way that I didn't know how to satisfy. Right. What I knew was there were all these people going around in the world, and they would say like, "This is important" or "That is important." But you know the annoying thing that like a two-year-old will do where they go like, why, why, why? And like, I was doing like the 13-year-old version of that. (laughs) Um, And not, not necessarily in a high quality way, but I found that like the, the world that I knew it didn't really have answers to the things I really cared about. Mm. Um, And, and then at some point I got really frustrated and gave up. Uh, but not really. <laughs> like not a 13 really. year old. Yeah. Like yeah. Well, no, I mean, this lasted till like 20 years old. And then I was like, I'm going to go insane doing this. I don't know what this is all about. Um, but then, you know, somehow I got into doing video games. Right. And somehow this desire to see the universe in a fresh way or an interesting way or to understand it met this medium of video games and video games are really interesting because like, what's a running game? It's, it's a separate universe from ours where stuff is happening, right? And it's usually, while it's always a simpler universe than the one that we're in, um, sometimes tremendously simple. Like if you're playing chess, there's not a lot of rules happening. And if you're playing Apex Legends, it's like a lot more complicated, but it's the same basic thing. Well, <laughs> once you chess move it from guns. like, from like a board yeah. to a computer, like a computer running really fast, it's kind of like a turn-based game where all the turns are just like super fast, right? Yeah. If you ever make game engines, you see that directly. But um, so this just became fascinating to me and it became a way to start thinking about these things. And so when I work on a game, uh, <laughs> so you mentioned the last two games that, that, 
that I worked on that we've released. And it's it's notable to point out that the first of those that you mentioned, Braid, came out in 2008, which is a while ago, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I've been taking a long time to make things and I wish I could make them faster, but you know, it is like what it is artist. right now. Like an artist, take <laughs> <Yeah>. your time. <laughs> that, well, I mean, truly like it, like it, like you're, t- like you're speaking about, it's like, if you are making art to make sense of the world, that's going to take a minute. <laughs> it takes a yeah. little while to it's write true. a novel. Like, you it's know. true, but it's also easy for you to say, I just had a big round number birthday this week that, that causes one to introspect on these things. Right. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's kind of devotional when I approach game design in this way. It's like, I'm trying to do my best as a little human being who doesn't understand much to appreciate the universe that we're in, in whatever way that I can with these video game things. And like, it doesn't make any sense, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like every time I think about it, I'm like, this doesn't. Every time I try to explain to somebody what I do, it like it doesn't make any sense, but I, I managed to do it, and so that's okay. But also, like it's one of those things where you know the universe is indifferent, and I love that. I don't know if it's Joseph Campbell, whoever said the thing of you know life has no meaning, it but the meaning that we bring to it, and I think that's kind of what I love about games, and, and especially your games. You know, Braid comes out two thousand eight, I believe. 2009, the way I heard about it was in the basement of like a club. I hate going to clubs and I'm there to help my friend as a wingman. And I'm just standing there and some guy and I start talking and he's like reviewing games, I think for the Washington Post or something. And we're yelling and I'm like, what's the one game I should play? And he goes, Braid, Braid. He yells at me. I play it that night and it changed my life. I mean, truly like the unreliable narrator aspect like just the storytelling, the fact everything isn't spelled out for you is is amazing. Um, and obviously the time dilation, all that, the physics, all that stuff is mind blowing. And then, you know, Witness comes along and a whole other level. And uh, I, again, try to press into the hands of everyone I meet those <laughs> games. And finally, I got Sonia very recently to start <laughs> The Witness. And so she, I get to see it through her eyes again for the first time. Yeah, I was going to say you bringing up being, uh, you know, this tiny little human just trying to understand and make sense of the world. That's exactly the uh, the sentiment I had going into The Witness, uh, which it was unlike anything that I've played in terms of it. I'm so used to games being so handholdy. I think recently I played, it was Pokemon Unite or something, something similar. And it was very much like going through dialogue boxes, going through, oh, this menu does this. So here's how to do this. Oh, don't forget this button does this. The witness throws all of that out the window. And it, it just, it, for a game that gave me nothing to, to go off of, it gave me so much to go off of, but in, in, in such a different way. For sure. The design of that game takes as an assumption that if you're going to sit down and play it, that you have a a great deal of initiative and willingness to explore what you find interesting. And it's not necessarily going to tell you like, definitely we design the environment so that like, Mm -hmm. if you look in this direction, you might see something out there on the landscape, but it's up to you to decide that that's interesting and whether that's something that you want to inspect. And, you know, I started designing that game again, that project took a long time. Um, I started designing it at a time when It was like 2009, 2010, and like Facebook games were the big thing, if you remember that at all. Oh, sure. Like Farmville was starting and all that stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And these games were all about like controlling your experience so tightly and getting you to like giving you reward. Even, you know, console games or something were all giving you rewards for every little thing you did. Um, I don't want to say negative things about games that, that friends of mine worked on, but there's one game that I was thinking of <laughs> uh, is published by Electronic Arts back around that time. And it's a level-based game. And the first few levels are super simple tutorials where you do like one thing. Because <laughs> it's trying to teach you like the basic controls or right. whatever. So you do like one thing and it pops up the screen saying, congratulations and fireworks go off and stuff. Because that's wow. what they do at the end of every level. And it just, mm-hmm. but it just feels so condescending and bad. And so when designing this, I was just going against all of that. I was like, mm-hmm. we're not trying to get you to be viral with your friends. We're not going <laughs> to congratulate you for doing dumb stuff. And in fact, there was actually a big choice that I had to make there that I guess I'm okay with. But um, originally, 
there was supposed to be a lot more story in The Witness. And, you know, a lot of people like story in games. And one of when people don't like The Witness, one of the things that they say about it is like, well, I you know, didn't have this portion of it. But as we were working on the game, I kept procrastinating the story part and, and not working on it. And um, eventually I realized that I liked the game being kind of quiet. Right. Mm -hmm. There are, there are some audio recordings, you know, with voice in them, but they're not story. And they're also not about the puzzles. They do not tell you absolutely anything at all ever about the puzzles. And you have to kind of look for them, right? They're not part of the default experience. And just this idea of being in this location where uh, you, there's no background music. There's just like nature sound. Mm -hmm. By the way, the nature sounds have no animals in them of any kind and no insects because it's supposed to be a completely alone place. And that drove the audio people nuts because like <laughs> they uh, we're going to do a swamp, but like there's no like bugs in the background of the swamp or something. It, it's like, it doesn't, you know, what does that sound like? So that was interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, and it's, it's so fascinating. First of all, you know, my parents are therapists and my dad had this phrase, which I love and live by, which is all behavior is purposeful. We might not know why we're doing something, but we're doing it for a reason. We don't act randomly. And it's like hearing you say, like, I was procrastinating on putting a story mm -hmm. into the game because you didn't really want a story. You know, you didn't want that. And it does remind me of like, we bring meaning to life. That's the meaning of life. We're bringing story to the witness, you know, we're bringing our own meaning to it. I remember, you know, there's so many moments I, I absolutely want to talk about, but <clears throat> one very big one was you, I, I unlocked, uh, you know, this, this, this end of this movie with the guy carrying the candle. I think it's Tartofsky, uh, and, uh, back and forth and back and forth. And I'd never seen this movie. I'd never heard of it. And, you know, you're in, and Sonia, you could shut yours if you want to. It's, it's not the end of The Witness at all, but it's a very cool moment, which is you're in this kind of underground, you know, silent, I'm, I'm existing in this world for days and months, you know, hours and hours every night. And now I'm in this, in like, in cave, a screening room in a cave, and I'm watching this piece of a real film that doesn't really have any connective tissue to the game other than ma it's magical. I mean, it's just, it's so hard to convey to somebody who hasn't had that experience. It's absolutely magical. And I felt like I'm the only person on earth having this experience, you know, and you've spoken before about how in the witness you wanted to give people and correct me, if I'm wrong, but these epiphanies, this idea of, I want to give the player this feeling that um, it, this kind of epiphany that you, we only get, rarely in life. And that was a moment for me that was incredible. And I just, I just feel like, did you have any of those moments making the game? What were the epiphanies that you had making the game? Well, I mean, making a game like that, it's a much longer and drawn out, more drawn out. Like it took six and a half years. It was a long time. Horrible, pro <laughs> right. Horrible process. Oh yeah. All your money. Say goodbye to all the money. Yeah. <laughs> There are many moments, but I think they tend to be smaller moments and, okay. and then they contribute, um, you know, to, it, it's a weird thing because to start making a game like that, it sort of has to be wherever I am in life and whatever I understand at that time and whatever I think is interesting at the time that we start doing the project, it sort of shapes the project, right? And mm -hmm. so that's like who I was in 2008, 2009. By the time 2015 comes around and we're finishing up the game, I'm kind of a different person in a little bit of a different place, but a lot of who I am has been shaped by the process of making this game because it's what I've been doing with my life for so long. So there's, if you look at those two times, I think there's quite a stark difference and a lot of change happens in there, but how many of those were like very stunning immediate moments versus small things? Like there are a lot of times when I was designing puzzles for the game that I was just very happy with it fortunate that I was able to design things like this and that they were coming out this well. Um, there's a couple, I, I don't want to name, because even like saying what the specific puzzles are is a spoiler of, of a surprise moment, but there are a couple puzzles that are quite intricate and have many phases of like back and forth. And they really had no right to work. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it didn't have to be that I would be able to make that puzzle. Right. But I sit down and try to embody this idea in this thing. And it, it actually worked. And it, it's, it's just amazing to, to observe 
to observe these things, to observe and appreciate what's possible. Like one way that I think about game design for this kind of game, and I don't think that this apply a, this idea applies to every single type of game, but but especially for puzzle games. Um, when I'm designing it, I sort of like have ideas and some of them aren't that good. Some of them are better. And then I, I pursue the ideas and pursuing an idea often involves exploring little sub ideas and abandoning them and stuff. But, but I need to have a sense for what I'm looking for and what I think is good enough to show the players. Right. And that's what goes into the game. And so I'm, I'm kind of what you get in the end when you play the final game is like a curated compressed version of all the things that I kind of discovered in the process of making the game, right? All the best mm -hmm. things. You know, you, you spoke on uh, one word that really stuck out to me uh, that you mentioned was uh, condescending, like how some games can feel overly celebratory for the tiniest things. And again, with microtransactions and everything, um, it just seems to want to feed into this cycle of... Um, some kind of an addiction, like I need to go back and check on it. I need to do this. And you're rewarded for the, the tiniest little things. But when I have moments in The Witness where I'm stuck on a puzzle, I, admittedly, I am god awful at puzzles. And I will, I'm the first person to throw my controller and give up. I will say that. <laughs> Me too. But, but when I have moments where I'm really, really stuck on a puzzle, I'm like 20 minutes deep. I'm like, I lit, like, there's nothing that makes sense here. I remember taking a step back physically in the game and maybe a little bit emotionally and having, having the wind, just the wind sound, it felt like a cool wash over me. And I was able to, you know, uh, metaphorically and physically see the bigger picture and things just made way more sense. And then having that like, aha, and everything clicks it's so much more satisfying than like a quick dopamine hit from, you know, a, oh, congrats, you made it past the introductory stage or like tiny little celebratory things. It felt like such a bigger, grander, satisfying moment. Yeah. Now that kind of moment that you're talking about, you know, where you, you suddenly realize something important that, that probably helps you solve the puzzle, or even if it doesn't in that one case, it's still interesting. Um, that was one of the main points of the game was to try to find as many of those kind of experiences that we could give people and, and put them together and, and not have it be the same experience over and over, but have them be different from each other and show you different flavors of how this can work. And it was very rewarding, but it was pretty difficult, honestly. Um, <laughs> I, <imagine. laughs> I can't even imagine. But, but you know, so puzzle game designers have this idea of the aha moment, which is how they describe what you're talking about. But the way that, that puzzle game designers have historically talked about this, I always found a little bit unsatisfying because, because often they treat it as, well, what's a puzzle? A puzzle is just something that you don't know the answer to. It could be like sliding a bunch of tiles around into the right positions or like solving a Sudoku or whatever. And then you're stuck on it. And the aha moment is when you understand something about how to solve it. And that always felt a little bit empty to me because to me, like, yes, it's true to have this positive experience of being able to understand a situation that you were stuck in. But those experiences are not all the same. Like what goes mm -hmm. on in your mind, what you actually come to understand in that moment is actually important. And there can be different kinds of things and they could have different kinds of flavors, right? And so just to try to explore that and illustrate that in this game was, was one of the main points, I guess. Yeah, I think it was the combination of the relief of, <laughs> I'm not of, stuck hey, on this puzzle anymore. I'm like, I finally get it. But then also, uh, you know, a taste of having that new knowledge of like, oh, right. and you you have like a, a new key that you can use to take forward. Well, well there's different, forward. there's different ways that that can feel, right? So I've definitely played some games with pretty bad puzzles, in my opinion, right? Where I'm playing it and I'm stuck and I don't get it. And then I find the clue somewhere and it's something kind of lame, right? Or it's like, how <laughs> how was I supposed to understand that? It doesn't right. really yeah. feel good. It's like, okay, now I'm going to go do the thing that the designer wants me to do, right? But I think the art is how to make that part good, right? Like, are you surprised by the thing that you see or the thing that you discover? Are you delighted by it? Does it, does it then not only give you the answer to this puzzle, but does it help you see other things in the game in a slightly different way, right? Can we make mm -hmm. a composition out of all this? Like when, 
for me, something like that, like if you're trying to do like a combination lock in a puzzle game, and then you go into the wall in the other room and the combination is like some numbers on the wall, that's not that interesting, <laughs> right? And then one step a little bit more interesting, but still not that interesting is like, I don't know, there's some dice that somebody rolled on their desk and the dice are the numbers. It's still, but but you can start with some idea like that and try to take it in more and more of a of a surprising direction, of a way that gives something to the player. You don't want to just require the player to pass a task, but you need to give them something in pro- that's valuable in proportion to how hard you ask them to work. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these things are subjective. Like if somebody's not a puzzle game buff, you're asking them to work a lot harder <laughs> just to play a puzzle <laughs> game. Uh, but we do our best. Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new. Because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun. FX's new international spy thriller The Veil starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge. Inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. I mean, you know, for you, like what, and also just in life, like what are, what are you getting inspired by these days out there in the world? What are things as an artist, you're so, you're a sponge, we're all sponges, right? What are the things you're soaking up um, as you're making your, you know, this new, this new game? Well, every, every game that we're working on is, is inspired to some extent by the one before it, right? So mm-hmm. when I was working on Braid, it brought up certain questions uh, or ideas about, you know, how how things would get better and more communicative when they were like minimal level designs as opposed to ornate complex level designs and and about how you could, you know, in Braid, there's a few of these kind of moments of nonverbal communication. And then I got really interested in that for The Witness. Like, how do, what if we try to communicate completely nonverbally for the whole game? What can we do, right? And so for the current game, I'm thinking a lot about a slightly different direction of that that also happens in both of those games, but it's this thing where this complex web of understanding just gets built up in your mind as you play really any game, right? So, you know, Dark Souls or whatever is an example of that. Like by the time you're done with that game, you know and have an appreciation of a bunch of stuff in a bunch of different dimensions. So, you know, like the map of the world, you know, like how things behave and what to do in different situations and all this stuff that, if you were to try to write it all down, it would take a long time, right? It would be a lot. And then you'd keep finding detail where you have to go into more detail and more detail. And so it's that's very interesting. So in The Witness, it was a little bit more like we were focusing on the act of communicating that kind of information. And then in this next game, it's more about trying to have that end result just be really massive and complex or... Yeah, something like that. I'm not I'm not explaining it very well, but but it's something about like what is what is that thing that you end up with once you understand a game. And the thing is there's not really a lot in the external world that speaks about that directly. Um so my approach is just to read whatever. I'm a big believer that your subconscious mind helps you a lot. So I just read whatever I'm interested in. I watch whatever I'm interested in. And if I'm reading a book that I think I should be reading, but like, it's not really working. I just put it down and I pick up the next one, you know? Yeah. I'd love to know just from like a game design approach when you're considering, you know, the projects that you're working on now, um, are you considering, you know, I guess future technologies in a way like VR, AR? Uh, I just love your thoughts on that whole 
world, I guess. Mm. I know a, a big, uh, not hot button, but a big hot topic now, especially with all these huge companies jumping on it, being, you know, the metaverse and uh, people creating tools and uh, engines to be able to develop these worlds. Um, I would just love your thoughts on that whole space in general. Yeah, well, you know, a few years ago when it looked like the new wave of VR might have been in the process of taking off, we definitely thought about the next game maybe being VR because like right around when The Witness finished was sort of when that was happening. And it was like, well, if we do a new game, what is it going to be? And didn't didn't end up, you know, even our company is not very big, but like it's very risky to say we're going to make VR games with the size of the audience being what it is, right? So that kind of got put on hold, but I, I definitely had a number of interesting ideas of what I would do with VR games. And I do think that if I'm going to be a little bit critical about the way the way the industry has approached this, like, I do think that the best, I mean, this won't be a surprise to most people. I, I think that the best VR games are designed explicitly for VR, right? They're not games that you mm-hmm. did for something else and then came along and ported later on, right? Those those tend to be weird. But then what does designed for VR mean, right? And And for me, it means really using using what are actually the good parts of the system and not like what what is the marketing and PR of what it's supposed to be, right? So the marketing and PR of what it's supposed to be is that it's super immersive and like you're really there and whatever. And I never really bought that. Like if you're watching a movie, you're really immersed in the movie just on a flat screen. And if you're reading a good book, you're really immersed in the book, right? So like there is a little bit of a quality of immersion that you get in VR, but it's if you break it down to practical things, it's something more like I can accurately judge distances in a freaking 3D game or whatever, which I can't do when it's projected on a small screen. And it it feels more real in that way. Like I can reach out my arm to grab something without thinking about it and my hand goes to the right place. Okay, that's really interesting, but that's a very concrete thing to design around. It's not like, ooh, immersion. It's like, okay, you can do this, you can do that. And then there's other things like the finger tracking stuff that various people did. It, I didn't think worked very well. and um, to me, what's fascinating though, is that when you have a VR headset, you have very good head tracking and very good tracking over two hands. And that is, I think it's underappreciated how interesting that is because historically in games, how how much information can you send to the game? I have like a couple buttons and maybe right. like one analog stick, right? And if you yeah. if you want to get mathy about it, it's like a couple of degrees of freedom worth of information. It's like not very much. And uh, you know, in in VR, you have eighteen degrees of freedom. Approximately, some of them are constrained together, but you have a lot more plus a bunch of buttons and stuff. And that's just like way more richness of communication that the player has to tell the game about what the player wants to do, right? Um, you know, usually in games, it's all just pixels coming. Like if you quantify the amount of information in like a 4K screen, 60 FPS at 24-bit color, it's like insane amounts of information coming back at you, but very little going in. And VR helps us even that out just a little bit. So I would be interested in it from that standpoint. Also, um, I do, you know, back when we used to have fun before coronavirus, um, I used to do a lot of dancing and stuff. And so I always want to do like way more over the top stuff in VR, like than than games usually do. Right. So like, I want to, you know, I want to do the version of Beat Saber where you actually have to like jump across the room all the time and like slide and duck and then like, you know, leap over things. Like I want, I want hardcore <laughs> Beat Saber, but like. <laughs> I'm in for that. The thing that, so being good at Beat Saber or being good at DDR is actually about minimizing your amount of motion, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're trying to do, the levels get faster and faster and you're yeah. doing all this stuff, right? And so if you're Economy, like good, yeah. if you're good at Beat Saber, you kind of just mostly stand in one place and then move as little as possible to do all the fast things. But I, I would design a game where it's like, no, you actually need to move your body a great deal. And it's not necessarily about being fast, but about being um, elegant and and smooth and, and all that stuff. That would be fun. Also, I love the idea of a game as a communication between the player and the 
you know, what, what's coming back is real. That's such a fascinating idea because, it, you, you know, you think about like Nintendo and you have the two buttons and the D pad, right? And have we, we've added a bunch of buttons, but have we really added any true input that matters at the grand scheme of things? I think storytelling has gotten fantastic in games, which has put us, you know, closer to like movies and all those things. But it is really interesting that I, I think developers or whatever game designers are leaving a lot on the table when it comes to the potential of being able to communicate with the game and what that means is, is kind of fascinating, you know? Yeah. I, it's definitely, there is a lot to explore is what I would say. I would say that, um, I, I don't know what people are going to discover about what's good there that like kind of breaks it open and enables a lot of new things, but I'm sure there are such things, right? Sure. That's part of what, part of what games being an art form means is that if it's an art form worth its own salt in some way, uh, <laughs> it needs to be able to be good at things that other art forms aren't. Otherwise, why would this thing, why bother with this thing? Right. right. And, and part of what I think is we're still discovering those and, the thing about games is like the technology is also changing while we're developing the artistic side of the medium. Right. And, and so we can't possibly, because the technology is still changing, we can't possibly have discovered everything anyway. So that's just interesting, I think. Yeah. I mean, speaking of games who are uh, art forms that are worth their own salt, uh, what would you say are some of them? You mean individual games? Or, yeah, games that you enjoy that uh, you know that you would maybe consider an art form that are that are doing it right that you feel are you know something outside the box that you've enjoyed or has given you a different kind of experience or. Yeah, I mean the things that inspired me the most, like just practically speaking, are are games from a long time ago. Um, like like one game that really set me off on the course where I am was uh, uh, an old text adventure on home computers from Infocom, if you know who, who they were back in the day. Uh, there was a game called Trinity uh, by a guy named Brian Moriarty, who's now a friend of mine. But back then, you know, he was, I was a little kid in, in middle school or something. And it's one of the first games that was very unashamedly being a work of art. It's like, look, this is what we're doing. And hopefully you're on board with this. And it, it showed me it really showed me at a young age what that could be like, and it left this imprint on me. And the thing is, all those Infocom games, by modern standards, they're they're not very playable because you like try to type in a sentence into some primitive text parser, and it doesn't understand what you're trying to say most of the time. And right. you know, why can't I do this? Um, but you know, if, if you're willing to get into it, it could be quite a rewarding experience. I also, I mean, probably the game that I've played the most hours of, and this will surprise many people, but uh, was Counter-Strike back in the day. Nice. Like especially nice. original Counter-Strike, like back in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I was going to ask if you were a Go guy or original Counter-Strike. I was, okay. So the first Counter-Strike that I ever played was, I forget even, so it's confusing because there were CS betas and then there was one point something, and then there were CS betas that were like the Valve betas. But the original ones, mm -hmm. it was very early, and like when the round reset, it wouldn't even clean the guns off the map. Like that's how bad it was. So everybody would like run to try to get to where they died last time and like pick up pick up their saw or whatever. Um, and in my mind, that was like CS beta two or something, beta three. But those weren't those weren't like the Valve betas. So this was like very early. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember all sorts of like old jankastic maps that nobody would take seriously today, <laughs> but we used to play them like a lot. Uh, that's half the, that's half the fun though. Yeah. yeah. I remember playing, um, kind of maybe a little bit later, uh, a little bit later than that. I got really, I was also really into Counter-Strike, but I got really into, uh, Team Fortress 2. Okay. And I remember playing it on the orange box where people would have, uh, like hacked, Xbox 360s and they would like generate these maps that you would just, it was like one out of every 30 
maps that I joined or 30 games that I joined, it was like a hacked map. <laughs> and just seeing like what people would do with it, because yeah. you know, you get kind of bored of the 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 basic game and just seeing the way that people would mess with it and stuff. Again, it's hard to take serious now. Yeah. But back then it was such a just such an appreciation for what people were were trying to do with it. Yeah, times were simpler for sure. Simpler times. <laughs> so Mr. Ball, I hate to say it, but we're almost out of time. Oh no. Uh uh, this has been a truly, truly a delight. Uh, thank you for getting on and, and talking with us. Uh, but we love to end every interview with asking our guest their best game and their worst game. A game that gives you the most pleasure and then a game that makes you personally crazy <laughs> via either disappointment, you were like, oh, this is going to be great, I'm disappointed, or a game that, I, do you even rage quit? Do you do you rage quit games? I do sometimes, but, okay. but now I... Um, I, I observe what's happening and en- enjoy it and have fun with the rage quit, but then I still Amazing. participate in the rage quit, right? <laughs> okay, cool. You're zen. You're a zen rage quitter. Yes. You're like, I understand what it's doing, and then you whip your controller at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> so um, let's start low and go high. Is there a game? I have to say probably Farmville, right? Um, <laughs> because it's so cynical and exploitative and just about making money from people, but, but it's not even that specific game, right? It's that whole thing, right? So now, you know, we're in a time where, like you say, everybody's got these phones and they not only have cameras, but they all could play games. And there's just a tremendously large industry making a lot of people rich. That's sort of just about exploiting people, giving them things that kind of pretend to be games, but aren't really don't have much virtue as actual games and are just there to just get you to watch ads and waste time or whatever. And actually, I think the worst part of that is the, the time wasting actually, because I mean, if you have, if you have a million users and you get them each to waste even only one hour of time each, that's a million hours. How, how many years is that? I don't even know. It's a long time. Uh, oh my um, gosh. I don't know if I want to think of it in years wasted, but maybe yeah. we should. Maybe that's a good but thing to it's, it's, think about. It's a little bit important, right? Because, mm-hmm. okay. So on the one hand, video games are entertainment, right? Or um, they're certainly optional. They're, they're not like food that you put on the table to survive, right? But things that are optional like that, they can be valuable and they can make our lives better and more wonderful, or they can be the opposite, right? And they can very easily just make people kind of depressed and or, or cause them not to use their time well. And then 10 years go by and they didn't do these things that they wanted to do or whatever. And so I'm always a big proponent of just making sure that we try to make sure there's enough in the way of video games uh, that are doing something good for people. And that doesn't mean, you know, video game where you learn eighth grade math or like go to the dentist or whatever, you know? Um, but, but it just like, yeah, just give people wonderful experiences that are positive. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, that my worst game has to be like the whole family of games that descended from Farmville and is now this giant mega industry. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Just moral morals and ethics and in game development. Yeah. Like, all right. So now, the game that gives you the most joy. Um, I don't know. I have to go. Hmm. This one is is hard because these days I'm a I'm a little bit of a crusty cynic where I play all these games coming out and I don't like when you've played so many games. You know, then a game has to really be doing doing something new to give you something you haven't done before, and that's a little bit less common uh, recently. Aside from the games that I already mentioned, which I think were wonderful, um, I have to like this is this is weird. I don't know why I'm picking this one exactly, but it's also <laughs> it's one of the games that it doesn't make sense, but it sort of ended me up where I am now. Um, and it's this game that nobody's going to know what the hell it is uh, called called Netrek, which I played. It was like the first serious multiplayer game. Um, that probably ever existed in the modern sense or that I ever played. So this was when I was in college. 
Um, you played it on like uh, Unix workstations, right? So the equivalent of like Linux machines today or something. Um, and it was a 16 on 16 space game with like a Star Trek theme. And it was kind of like football where you're like trying to take over each other's planets. Right. Okay. Um, but this was like playable on the internet in, you know, 1990 or something, right. Like a long time ago. And it just, it really, um, it really showed me a way, a way that games, um, can be complex. They can start with these simple elements and then be complex. And you can have all these interesting interactions with other players and stuff. My first professional game was actually a multiplayer game that was kind of modeled after that. It didn't do very well. <laughs> we shut down the company, but um, <laughs> they, they, there you go. I, I somehow learned a lot from that game, even though, again, by modern, it's not that interesting compared to like, you know, Apex Legends again or something, right? But But for 1990, it was pretty good. Very pivotal. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, for the time, that's huge. Uh, yeah, from tiny acorns do mighty oaks grow. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's right. That's kind of the whole thing. So, well, uh, listen, thank you again. Uh, thank you for spending some of your life currency on us. <laughs> we appreciate it. Uh, and please, please out there, uh, uh, buy the buy Braid, buy The Witness. It, it truly is a, a life-changing experience, not just a video game. Uh, and thank you, Jonathan Blow. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I have to say I, that was an, that was amazing. I, I don't fanboy out a lot, but was I too fanboy on that? You kept it pretty cool. Okay. You kept I was it pretty cool. Freaking out, just <laughs> screaming internally the entire time. Thank you to Jonathan Blow for joining us. And we're going to take a quick little break. Don't leave. We'll be right back. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right, we're back. Now, here's the thing. I have to say something. Guys, I have a confession to make. What's up? This is a safe place. Is it? Oh, you mean a public <laughs> Barely. podcast? Barely safe. Listened to by hundreds of thousands? <laughs> um, listen, here's the deal. It's gotten to the point now, we've interviewed so many people, and The Last of Us 2 has come up so much. And for this last interview that we did, I had to take my earphones off and- <laughs> And not look at the screen, the Zoom, so I couldn't read people's lips, so I didn't get the end spoiled for myself. I, I think I just have to beat The Last of Us 2. It's it's time. Jesus. It's been like... It's been a long time. I know. Also, I love how you're like, I really need to open up about this. And the second you do, we're both like, God, finally. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. We all three of us. The Jen and I three. need to get this out. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm I'm dragging the golden three down, and it's really mm -hmm. only the golden two and the silver one at this point. <laughs> at this point, so I need I need to I need to beat the last of us too. But can I ask you to a favor? Yeah, because I really love the game Inscription, and it's not even close to a similar game in scope and epicness and feelings. Sure, but there's a lot of parts of Inscription that I really want to talk about with you guys, but it will ruin the gameplay experience if I spoil it. So can I ask mm -hmm. you to- How the tables have turned. How the turntables, <laughs> yes. So just just as a favor to old Blay, as a favor uh -huh. to, the, to the silver one, as he gets mm -hmm. his shit together and beats The Last of Us 2, can I ask you two to please play Inscription just for me so we could talk about it? Not even on the podcast, but just as pals. I'm just, I, I'm proud of you for opening up about it. It's, I'm feeling vulnerable. Yeah. And you know, for, for that reason and that reason alone, and the, also the fact that I did buy you inscription and then didn't play it. <laughs> Wait, you're, you're the one who gifted it to him yes. and now he's got the nerve yes. to recommend it to you. <laughs> Wait, wait, oh, but you didn't hear how the, the second tables half. Have turned. Oh, how the tables have turned. <laughs> you didn't hear the second half of Sonia's sentence. Hasn't played it. She bought it for me, but hasn't played it. Yet. Oh, goodness. Yet. But, you know, I feel 
That's fair. That's fair. If that's what it takes, if that if that's what it takes to f- have you finally finish The Last of Us 2 so we can finally talk about it, fine. I'll be, uh, no, no. Oh if this is God. what it's come to. Now I'm being judged. <laughs> okay, look, okay, no. Okay, Jen, listen, listen. Yeah. You don't have to play Inscription. No, I will, I will. But, can, well, let me just, I'll just say this. I want to thank you two for mm-hmm. for going out of your way to be, this going? Good, to be really good friends to not spoil The Last of Us 2 for me. Aww. I truly. Thank you. It's been really hard. Yes, I know really it. Hard. I'm sure it has. I'm sure. It, and I just want you to know, I really appreciate both, both of you, your friendship. And honestly, and this is not a joke, I really appreciate you not spoiling it for me. I'm going to start it again tonight and I'm going to play it straight through. Tonight's the night. Okay. Tonight's, Tonight's the, night. the night. Okay. And, and you don't need Finally. to do anything for me. I Just... will play Inscription mainly because it also looks like a very good game. It's mm-hmm. great. You should play it because it's great. But you know what? Yeah. I'm going to say this. You've already done everything you ever ever could for me by not spoiling. <laughs> oh, stop. So thank you. are too well, kind. Okay. Thank all right. But you know what? It'll be, I think all of this is so worth it now that when you're finally going to play through it, oh, we can get your actual reactions and talk about yes. it like in the, during the, ah, I'm excited for that. That's what's made it's worth, made it's, I can't even talk. That is what has made it worth it up yes. to this point of not spoiling it. So what if the next like five podcast recordings, I just can't make it through because I'm just crying the whole time. I'm like, oh, what the <laughs> I think, then, I think we'd understand. We would. Oh, I think wow. we would. We absolutely would. And that, <laughs> that ladies and gentlemen, is true friendship. That's the sign of true Aww. friendship. Golden three, G3 forever. Uh, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, be sure to rate and review and follow Good Game Nice Try on Twitter at Good Game Nice Try. Thank you to Jonathan Blow and thank you to Jen Samples and Sonia Reed for being real pals and not spoiling The Last of Us 2. Silver One is, is going to rejoin <laughs> the Golden Three, I promise you. See you all next week. Good Game, Nice Try is produced by Jen Samples and Nick Liao. Our executive producers are Joanna Solitaroff, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Engineering by Will Beckton, with engineering and sound design by Chester Guazda. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, and Britt Kahn. And a very special thanks to Lisa Berm with music, as always, you know it, by John Danik. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com.